This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vols. Hello everyone and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring incident of any kind whatsoever, is Lyle Fulton and I am joined, as I always am and I hope I always will be, by the wonderful Jackie Vors. Jackie, how are you this fine <laughs> Friday morning? We're not going to make it seasonal. I'm not going to say when we're recording <laughs> this episode. Although we are recording this episode on we're a significant day. We're going to get this episode out like super quickly because of the topic we're actually going to be discussing uh, this week, listeners. And um, we're actually recording this episode on a particular day, a specific day for one particular nation in our British Isles. So happy that day, if you are that way inclined. I'm, I'm going to keep it very vague. I'm going to keep it very secret. But um, how are you this fine Friday morning, Jackie? How are you doing? Great. I've been suffering with the lurgy. So if my voice sounds a bit kind of like, eh, it's because I've been struggling a little bit this week. It's going yeah. round. It's going round. But you've you've braved it. And we're very, very grateful as ever to have you on the podcast. And this week, listeners, we are discussing something that's gripped the public consciousness, I think. Gripped the nation. I think it's also been a bit of a worldwide phenomenon because it's really kind of like a line in the sand, isn't it? What we're talking about, of course, is Lineker versus the BBC. Now, I've kind of Americanized that insofar as it's something versus something. But yes, Gary Lineker and his battle, really, I mean, if you can call it that, with his employers, with the BBC, and I suppose, by extension, although depending on your opinion on the kind of relationship between the BBC and our current government, Gary Lineker versus the government the, the state yeah. you know at large let's position this for people who aren't necessarily Good from call. the uk yes so we have the bbc british broadcasting corporation which everybody should be aware of because they do produce pretty global content yes uh, but it is our major television national television broadcasting company of course they do radio and streaming and all sorts of different things as well and they have the bbc orchestra and the bbc singers and the world service but the bbc should be known so that's our media channel then we've got the government now, the thing about the government's involvement in the BBC is that we all pay a television licence, which yes. a lot of people do in their respective countries. But we, as a British taxpayer, pay a television licence that funds or partially funds the BBC. And so because of that tax relationship, the government gets involved at some level with how the BBC is. And a lot of that relates to the BBC's let's put it this way, non-political, it's supposed to be a non-political agnostic stance to current issues. Yes. So that's kind of like the scene that's set. Then yes. bring in one of the most watched and loved TV programmes and to a certain extent institutions, which is Match of the Day. And the main presenter of Match of the Day is Another golden guy of British football, soccer in the States, but British yes. football. Love this. Is Gary Lineker. And Gary Lineker was a World Cup playing player. He was what well, he is one of the British darlings of sports. Yeah. 
responsible for one of the most iconic clips in football history you know two of the most iconic clips in football history for football followers around the world they'll remember Gary Lineker turning to uh, Bobby Robson in uh, uh, 96 and saying keep an eye on him when uh, Gaza started tearing up after being booked in the semi-final because it meant he would miss the final Uh, he's been responsible for some hugely significant moments both as a player and importantly and significantly as you're about to mention as a television presenter, which is where this all stems from. So he presents much of the day, but he's also, and this is quite interesting, he's also got a production company that is behind really successful podcasts like The Rest is Politics or The Rest is History. Yeah, who so we should give shout outs to because, yeah, they've been, you know, partially inspired The Rest is PR's title. So thank you for that. But yeah, absolutely. Alistair Campbell, who's part yeah. of The Rest is Politics, etc. Yes. Yeah. So... Gary Lineker is somebody who is really revered and followed by a lot of people in sports, but also in general presenting and obviously in the broadcasting industry. So moving swiftly forward, we have some you know, serious issues going on at the moment with immigration and refugees, uh, particularly highlighted by have, taking in Ukrainian refugees recently because of the Ukraine and Russia conflict. And Gary Lineker, I think, has taken in a Ukrainian refugee himself. And he is very passionate about the topic of immigration and about the fairness of legislation when it comes to us bringing in refugees and asylum seekers. So recently, the government in England, Britain, Great Britain, has um, come out with a certain stance, let's say, and uh, push, trying to push through certain bills and legislation regarding refugees and immigration. And the kind of language that has been used by our own government is very tough, very harsh. And Gary Lineker felt he wanted to talk out about it. And so he tweeted his disagreement with the stance in itself on our uh, immigration issue, uh, uh, on immigration as a nation, and also with the kind of language that was being used by our Home Secretary, Suella Brownman, about refugees. And it was very strong and it almost incendiary. And his issue was that you shouldn't be speaking like that about refugees. There's genuine pain and suffering going on in this world and we should be more empathetic and welcoming and, you know, we're a rich country and we should be sharing those riches. Now, that was his view and his opinion. And some people say he's entitled to that. So some people think that Gary Lineker should be more agnostic and less politically driven in his the way he speaks because he represents the BBC. Other people think that he is entitled to his freedom of speech and that as and he's using his platform to express his deeply felt opinions and he should be able to do that. As it turned out, the BBC then asked him to step back from presenting Match of the Day, thinking that they could probably zoom in a load of other commentators and co-presenters who would be able to come in and um, help out and cover for him while they talked to him about his use of social media. And all of those commentators, all of those co-presenters stood in unity with Gary Lineker and said, we are not going to come on and present Match of the Day. And the BBC was left in this very embarrassing position Mm. of having a programme that was scheduled to go out, which had to go out. Yes. No presenters. Not one person would come forward and present the primetime show on a Saturday night in the UK, which was mega. 
And it really showed the depth of unity and the depth of feeling about a person's entitlement to their free speech. Mm. Also brought about a huge debate in our media about people's rights to use their social media platforms to express an opinion. But what I like to think about here is crisis. How did the BBC get into that situation in the first place? Were they prepared for this? Clearly not. No. Um, And what they were going to do about it. And it's quite interesting watching the whole media debate spin out. And we're coming after the event now because what happened is that Gary Lineker has been reinstated. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. The BBC has sort of not backed down, so to speak, but they basically said we've come to an agreement about what our presenters should and can talk about on their own social media platforms. And Gary Lineker has said that, you know, he's obviously delighted to be back presenting the best show, arguably one of the best shows in, in the UK. And everything has kind of calmed down a bit, but it does leave that little debate about why did they get into that media storm in the first place? How did this all come about? Yeah, we've spoken about this actually, haven't we, before on a number of different issues. I think most notably, not that, I mean, there are parallels, but the similarities are fairly sparse between this and the Harry and Meghan situation. But we've spoken about, in particular on previous episodes of the podcast, how you want to avoid as an institution getting involved in like trial by media in like war by media because things get filtered in a certain way and what evolved basically over the few days that this happened which basically kicked off on friday last friday afternoon really for being honest and then kind of you know sort of manifested as this extraordinary point scoring hearsay landscape for essentially a, a really wild 72 you know call it 96 hours in fact four days which was absolutely extraordinary i mean Friday afternoon, we hear that Gary Lineker has been asked to explain himself to the BBC. He's been asked to explain his comments, and it's important that we get those comments right. And so I'm not going to claim that what I'm about to say he tweeted is absolutely spot on and black and white. But one of the phrases he used is that the government has used language in its putting forward of this policy that's not dissimilar to language used by Germany in the 1930s. And that's what sparked uproar. That's that's kind of word for word what he said in the midst of some other comments he made in this big tweet. And you're so right in what you said, because the BBC then asked him to explain himself. And rumour has it, and this is a key point, it's then rumour all of a sudden, because we're not in the room, we're not a fly on the wall between, you know, the BBC and Gary Lineker. And what's essentially happened is that they've asked him to apologize for what he said. Allegedly, that's that I'm just I'm going to use the word allegedly constantly. They've asked him to apologize. He's refused. And it's then been dressed as we've asked him to take a step back. Now, what has then allegedly, and I'm going to keep using that word allegedly, what the rumors are is, and none of this is absolute fact, he has kind of gone on record to close friends of his, to his friends and colleagues at BBC Sport, including the likes of Ian Wright and Alan Shearer, who then refused to go and match the day with him on Saturday night, and other colleagues of his who then refused to present other shows on Saturday. So it's not just match the day that was disrupted. We had no final score. We had no football focus. Yeah. Five Live, the radio coverage of certain football matches was affected. I think their first match on that Saturday was... One commentator, was, didn't they? Yeah, one commentator who then actually made a point that it was very, very difficult, but that he had a job to do and that, you know, he thought the point had been made, et cetera, et cetera. But Gary Lineker is allegedly 
known to have said, and again, allegedly, that he wanted to present match the day on the Saturday, but that he would not apologise for the comments he made. And that if the BBC decided that that was the course of action they wanted to take, then he would obviously be, he'd have no choice but to not present match the day because he couldn't just turn up and present match the day, etc. Now, this then led to, and we're going to get into the crisis management of this as well, but this then led to an extraordinary debate. We're not a political podcast, but there's an extraordinary debate about what you can and cannot say, depending on what your role is within a certain organisation and your profile on social media and indeed publicly. And social media is now obviously public. And... It led to comparisons, which I don't think were terribly well managed by the BBC and indeed the government, if I may, and that's just an opinion, between what Gary Lineker is alleged to have said and his political stance, which is clearly anti the current government and what they're doing, and the likes well, of... anti this policy. Anti this policy in particular. We, yeah. We can't yeah. necessarily that's decide fair. what politics are based on one... Policy. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah, absolutely right. Very specifically anti this policy in this particular situation. That's a very good point to make, actually. But the likes of Richard Sharp, who's the chairman of the BBC, and you're right to point out at the beginning of this episode that whilst the likes of Gary Lineker and other high profile presenters in sport and in news and other things are freelancers, and that's a point we're going to get onto, and are employed by the BBC because of their talents and their ability to present and their expertise, Richard Sharp is a political appointment of sorts because he's the chairman of the national broadcaster so Richard Sharp is someone who the government have put in place to yeah, you know... you're, you're kind of getting confused here because sorry yeah. that's all right I don't know <laughs> but yeah. Richard Sharp I, I think you're right to set to point out that Richard Sharp was appointed by the government and he's mm. the chairman but Richard Sharp was nowhere to be seen during this whole debate this is he, it yeah no that's a good the point radar, off the grid yeah that's the thing because that wasn't managed terribly well that's that was going to be my point is that when certain commentators started to bring Richard Sharp into the conversation, for all that, you know, he's under investigation by a political committee for his involvement in, you know, donations to the Conservative Party. Or something, I yeah, don't. and a loan to Boris Johnson, all this sort of stuff. Let's just say, all of this is a little murky, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, yeah, but, government. Oh, yeah, mental, isn't it? Like Absolutely insane. Smoke and mirrors and shady. Exactly, but shady is exactly the word, and shady is really, really odd. And shady is one hundred percent the word. But much as that is very shady, Richard Sharp, it's not comparable. And for about twenty four hours, he was brought into the conversation, and that frustrated me because even though I don't approve of anything he's done, you know, in terms of you know his involvement in loans to Boris Johnson and donations to the Conservative Party, even though he's directly involved with the BBC, it's not comparable. He's not tweeted anything, right? He is, you know, appointed by the government. So, yeah. you know, by association, what he does is like sort of exists in a different quantum. Uh, there you go. <laughs> the quantum collection, right? However, oh. right? Wow. So, that, so that was poorly managed by the BBC insofar as that was brought into the conversation. It should have been shut down. That sort of thing should have been shut down. However, what they didn't shut down very well either in terms of crisis management, which I think are appropriate comparisons, is the kind of Andrew Neil examples being brought into you know, the forum, the debate, so, you know, the, 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 um, the Alan so Sugar, you know. What to here is Andrew Neil, who's a very respected journalist who oh. has presented on politics yeah. on BBC, has been very outright and outspoken on his personal opinions. Then you've yeah. got Lord Sugar, who presents The the Apprentice yeah. on BBC, and he's been very outspoken about his personal views on social media, and he hasn't been pulled from presenting The Apprentice. So those yeah. are... Very comparable examples. But I'm going to bring it back to something here. Yeah. My view is that there should never have ever been a debate. Yeah, agreed. On what people can and can't say. Yeah. 
because, and you know I'm going to come back to my thing about preparedness. Absolutely. Right now, everybody's talking about what are we going to do to fix it? What are we going to do to make everything better? Who are we going to sack? Alistair Campbell on the rest of politics. Those are all the things that he was saying. We should sack this person. Head should roll on this thing. Blah, 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 blah. That's all fine. Deal with the problem now. Great. Solve it. However, the problem should never have happened. Agreed. In a corporation that is supposed to be all about communications, they need to get their communications super clear. And this is what I talk about when I'm saying these great big behemoths, very large companies, expect people to just know. Yeah. People will not just know what they're supposed to do. Things need to be completely clear. So at the moment, nobody knows. There are no clear guidelines as to what you can say and what you can't say at the BBC. There's lots of clear guidelines, actually, I lie. There are clear guidelines on what is not applicable, what you shouldn't do. But there's nothing to be said what you can do. And that's the problem. So the the lines are very, very blurred. And so that when somebody is like representing themselves and representing their opinion on social media nowadays, they're working for the BBC, it is not clear what they can and cannot say. And that rests with the BBC. The BBC should have taken itself off air and had a word with itself Agreed. about its own policies. Yeah. Without no, whether I agree with Gary Lineker or I don't is irrelevant. Yeah. What they should have had was a very clear agreement with anybody who presents on the BBC as to where the line is drawn. Absolutely. People should sign up to that and be happy with that. And if they're not happy with that, don't work for the BBC. And what's and interesting is, yeah. Gary Lineker's point. Yeah. Is that nobody told me I couldn't say what I wanted to say or use language I genuinely felt. What's the problem? Exactly right. You're absolutely spot on. And there's a word that was thrown around quite a lot across the four-day episode, which actually speaks straight to the point you just made, which was this idea of impartiality. And impartiality as a word is defined as, you know, right, you know, you can have your own views, but you remain impartial, forward-facing, by not taking one side or another in broadcasting, you know, the news, the sport, anything like that. Now, there was an expectation, I think, from Tim Davey, Tim Davey, who's the um, executive um, of of the BBC. And they've kind of been having this very public, we get on really well, but privately, clearly some very, you know, difficult conversations (laughs) have been had. This is really interesting. And then obviously, you know, we're going to get onto the crisis management of the statements that were then released afterwards, one of which involves them kind of having a word with themselves, which I think was very well put by yourself impartiality is allegedly the hill tim davy would like to die on in his position at the bbc you know but when when he leaves his position he would like to look back on a legacy that includes having made the bbc just the most impartial thing ever not even broadcaster or tv channel or anything like that i want it to be the there's a picture of the bbc offices next to impartiality in the dictionary that's what he wants to die on publicly allegedly i'm going to keep using that word allegedly it's becoming the new quantum um but impartiality you know this is what this episode revolved around now he kind of claimed insofar as he was saying publicly that every employee at the bbc was aware of what the impartiality rules were you've quite rightly claimed in my opinion that they're very muddy, very murky, very shady. But Gary Lineker's argument would be that contractually, and I believe he said this, and again, this is all just rumour and hearsay, but I believe he said this to close friends of his and close colleagues of his, that actually the impartiality rules that he signed up to mean that he has to be impartial on the telly. Yeah. 
When he's broadcasting. When he's broadcasting. And Tim Davey probably agrees with that. But like I said, we're at a line in the sand. We're at a crossroads here because I imagine, and this comes down to preparedness as well, the advent of social media, the fact that social media is just this Leviathan that kind of continues to gather pace and grow exponentially, hour by hour, minute by minute, let alone day by day and week by week. When the impartiality rules were established, that was all they needed to think about. They just needed to think about, right, our employees on the telly just need to be impartial. They've never had to think about this before. And it brings me to this point about this crisis management by the BBC, because Gary Lineker came out and was obviously briefed by the BBC, but also by his own people. And I think he's made a very clever move as well by basically saying, I love this channel. I love the people I work with. I'm delighted to be back on air. I'm delighted this has been resolved and we can move forward. I have so much respect for the BBC, for the people who work there, blah, 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 blah. Let's get back to presenting match the day so that it's not the hideous and all these conservative MPs coming out saying it was the best episode of match the day ever because there was no punditry and there was no this, no that. It was hideous. It was 20 minutes worth of just banal clinical awfulness as a football fan myself. The lack of commentary was the big thing. Anyway, that's a tangent. The BBC have come out and stopped just short of apologising to him, although all the papers then reported that it had been an apology privately, albeit not publicly. But one key thing they've done, which goes back to your brilliant point, is they've also announced that they are going to be conducting a review of their employees' social media behaviour and what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. And it comes back to your point. Why do we need one? Speaking like, oh, we've suddenly woken up. We've got to take a review of our policy. In today's corporations, and I call out to all corporations, all businesses, small or large, the world is moving at a pace now. You cannot set a policy and leave it there for 20 years. You revise your policies on a, well, I used to say yearly basis, but now I think you might need to revise them on a monthly basis Mm. in terms of comms because we have new channels, new social media platforms coming out now. So, well, under the uh, impartiality rules, is is Gary Lineker allowed to do a TikTok to his favourite musician? Is that making him partial to a bit of Jay-Z? I don't know. You see, this is the thing. You need to be really on it when it comes to what you allow or approve of your employees doing now there is one thing everybody's been like raging against the bbc on this everyone's been like bbc's in the wrong and they are in the wrong because they didn't set the policy but they are not in the wrong for expecting their employees to behave in a certain way that represents their channel correctly I actually wholeheartedly approve of corporations saying, these are our values, this is our mission, and we are all working towards that mission. And if you join and are on board with that, then we expect you to behave in a certain way. If you don't, your free speech and your free will is to go and work for somebody else that maybe mirrors your own personal values. But these are ours, and this is the way we want to behave. So Demoso, we have our own social media policy that everybody signs up to when they join us as an employee because we want to make sure that if somebody has some very radical views, they are not associated with the views of our organisation. And this is when I bring things back to all these beautiful things that I talk about when I talk about messaging and positioning, which dials back entirely into an organisation's mission and values. Mm. So when I start talking to any company about its communications, I start there. What do you mm. want to do? 
What are your values? What is your mission? Where are you going? What do you want your employees to be like? What do you want your products and services to do for people? Then you message out from there. Okay, then we have these products and what are they all about? And why are they good? Where do they sit in the market? Yeah. What is your service sit in the market? What do you want to stand for? Quality, truth, honesty, transparency. All of these things need to be messaged clearly. When you've got your messaging clear, then you can set your guidelines. At the moment, the BBC is a shambles. It's going to be my point. You're so right. It's an absolutely brilliant point because actually the whole Gary Lineker episode being what it is, and again, I can I can draw parallels between this and the Harry and Meghan situation because much as Harry and Meghan have kind of set a interesting precedent in terms of what they've gone and done when it comes to the royal family, and I'm not just mentioning Harry and Meghan for SEO purposes, by the way, listeners, it's not that shameful. Um, but it's you know, it, it, I think I'm, I'm genuinely about to make a point. We spoke about this when we spoke about Harry and Meghan. It kind of spoke to a wider situation involving the monarchy and you know how people exist within that institution. It's part of a bigger thing is basically what I'm trying to say. And Gary Lineker, much as for four days, it was absolutely crazy and it captured public consciousness both here and abroad. It's part of a wider issue and it speaks to a wider situation with the BBC, which is that actually for some time now, its value system and the values it posits and its messaging and where it sits is very muddy. Yeah. And that's probably, and then you're so right. You said earlier, that's Gary Lineker's point. Gary Lineker allegedly again, privately has said, look, yeah, maybe what I tweeted, much as it's something I agree with, was slightly inflammatory in terms of the language I used. You know, the point stands, but the language was slightly inflammatory. But he's probably speaking to a wider point, which is this. As a professional presenter, I'm more than happy to exist within a corporation and exist within a set of parameters, which means that I have to behave, you know, a certain way as an employee of the BBC. But I don't know what that is 100% clearly because I've seen colleagues of mine and they are colleagues behave in a similar way in a different area of public affairs of current affairs of policy I've seen them exist in you know I've seen them behave in a similar way on their social media platforms and not be called up on this so he's probably arguing you know am I being made an example of but if I'm being made an example of then how is that going to be moving forward are you going to do the same thing to other people it got muddy for him because it probably struck him and it struck a lot of people. And it comes down to actually a question I'm going to ask you in just a moment when it comes to the PR side of this thing from the BBC side. It struck a lot of people. It struck a lot of the public that because, and again, I don't I mean, I have an opinion, but I'm not going to posit that opinion on this particular podcast. That's for another time. I have an opinion on this, but I'm not going to put that forward. But it struck a lot of people that because of what he said and the nature of what he said and the nature of who he was railing against, it struck a lot of people that that was the reason why he was taken to task over what he said, when actually we should be looking at an organisation that we hold up as being impartial, Tim Davy, something we pay for as taxpayers. We should be looking at it and going, right, he's done that. They have rules. They have a value system. Step one, step two, step three, done. It happens to everybody and it's done. But the fact of the matter was that because it comes down to preparedness, they didn't have this set of values, this set of rules, this set of parameters, and their messaging is so muddy anyway because of what they've done and not done in the past. It became, very basic way of putting it, it became, it, it felt like it became a bit weirdly personal, which it should never become when this happens. There should be a protocol. There should be a way it happens. And so my question to you is going to be, if you were advising the BBC this is a huge question to finish on, actually, to finish this episode on. If you were advising the BBC from Friday midday when you knew it was about to kick off, 
how would you have advised them differently? Oh, I love this question. The first comment I want to make on that question is they would never have a person like me advise them mm. because I'm not one of their yes men. I'm not one of these great big um, agency players from Hill and Knowlton or Edelman or any of these socially acceptable large PR agencies <laughs> that are all on the payroll of all mm. of the. Honestly, the great white whale corporation, you know, yeah. all the men in suits who are honestly out of touch. They wouldn't bring in somebody like me because, to coin a phrase, I used to be called the Burlington Bomber by uh, my previous agency that I We've mentioned it before. I do come in and drop a few bombs because they need to be dropped. So first off, I'd love you to employ me, the BBC. I'd come in and tell you for free what you should be doing. Just. Do be able to to open that door but from an advice perspective I'd dial it right back I wouldn't be like Alistair Campbell like go in and patch up the problem um sorry Alistair Campbell I really respect you and I love your podcast I'm biggest fangirl of Rory and Alistair but I wouldn't just be going in and patching up and making heads roll and everything else I would be dialing it all back and really looking at the fundamental values of what the corporation stands for And I would be questioning whether from the top down, that corporation still stands for those values and is reflected in the people who are actually executing these policies. Then I'd obviously be talking to people, making sure after consultation, what sort of communications policy you want to employ across the organisation and building in some rigorous processes for reviewing that as you go on, not just leaving it sitting there in a dusty box and that's our policy, go and look at it. That's rubbish. An organisation that's good, an organisation that's clear in its communication, lives those values every day. Its messages are clear and simple. The BBC has a great opportunity to do that if it dials back and starts from the beginning. But I'm afraid to say, I think what they will probably do is what Alice Campbell is advocating they do, which is sack a few people, patch open a few social media policies and move on. And this is really frustrating to me because... We are now in an age where I remember talking about blogging at Roxton College Corporation Conference. I was talking to really high level senior communicators in really large organisations and they all laughed at me 20 years ago when I told them that blogging was going to take over from publishing. They were like, don't be stupid, nothing's going to. And of course I was right. And I'm right about this. Mm. And this is something that the, the BBC and any corporation has to bear in mind is that people have platforms now and people need to know where they stand but they have their views and they have their opinions and they have to be allowed to express them but they also need to know that if they are working for an organization where the line is now people are reasonable and if they're not take whatever action you have to take to protect the organization and i really do believe that the bbc is right that there should be standards and there should be ways of people communicating I believe there are ways of doing that that give people their own platforms and their own freedom of speech. And there should be guidelines on how to to do things. And what is more, within a communications company, if somebody's got any doubt, they should be able to say to somebody within the organisation, I don't know whether I've overstepped the mark on this. Is this the right thing to do? There should be some sort of infrastructure there that if somebody does feel that they want to say something, they want to be able to check it by people. I think that's another thing that could be implemented. But fundamentally, get your preparation right, get your policies right, 
know your mission and your values, know exactly what you stand for and have people on board who want to represent you in that way. Don't be the big kind of social police and bring people down. You know, Gary Lineker was quite entitled to say what he wanted to say about something he believes in, you know, passionately. You can't be big brother, but you can give people some guidelines. You're so right. And actually, in fairness to... And I can't believe I'm about to say this, to be fair, because of some of the opinions I've kind of held privately over the last few days and week or so. But in fairness to the BBC and to Gary Lineker as well, free speech is also something that's been thrown around in this episode, the Gary Lineker versus the BBC episode, not this particular episode of the podcast, although now it has been uh, this phrase. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, call back. But (laughs) free speech exists in the United Kingdom. It's a right. However, free speech exists to be fair as well within its own parameters insofar as i'm free to say what i want to say out and about as long as i'm not then turning around to somebody and verbally abusing them verbally assaulting them etc etc you can offend because people are going to offend other people with their beliefs but there are parameters to free speech still you know they're they're widely held they're commonsensical it's the same within an organization like the bbc you're so right, right at the top of this episode, you said, I don't think this entire episode, this entire situation should have even happened. And had there been a clear set of parameters and values, Gary Lineker would still have said what he said in terms of the point he was making. But he he's... The language he used. He might not have used the incendiary language. We would never have this. Do you see what I mean? We'd never have this. And then the BBC would be within their rights to go, that's a bit inflammatory, Gary, tut, 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 if he did overstep the mark. But because these things didn't exist... We're no longer talking about, oh, is Gary Lineker representative of the BBC's views? Because we know what Gary Lineker's views are and we don't know what the BBC's are. That's the bottom line. That's the problem. That's the thing. Anyone turning around and going, oh, Gary Lineker shouldn't have said this. And I think, you know, they were within their rights to do this, that and the other. Well, they would have been, wouldn't they? Well, Don't to say it. They would have been, but, they, but they're not, sadly. You know. The BBC made themselves look like they agreed with, by yeah. the very censorship, they made themselves non-agnostic because they, yeah. looked like they agreed with the policies of the government. Yeah. So just through that very act of censorship, yeah. basically given a corporate opinion. One final question for you before we call this episode. Yeah. Extraordinary. And, and you're so right. One final question. Though. I think this is a really good one to end on. Neither of us were born yesterday. This is going to happen again. It, yeah. it probably won't be Gary Lineker in fairness, because much as there's all sorts of stuff going on, you know, in terms of his business interests and in terms of, and that's a different podcast, there's a different episode entirely. But, you know, in terms of also, you know, his presenting career and all sorts of other things, right? Gary Lineker and his people have gone right point made, probably, you know, we've gone through this, you know, he will necessarily probably not use as inflammatory i mean he might do hey who am i to say what well, he will you won't get go? him Lyle, and say gary come talk to us about it listen there are so many i need to invite on you know alistair campbell gary lineker <laughs> tim <laughs> tim davy man it will have you on it would be really interesting i can't wait to play impartiality bingo with tim davy uh to see how many times he says it um but when this happens again and it's, it is a when not an if with another bbc employee another bbc presenter what are they going to do that's a huge question because there hasn't really been a precedent set by the BBC. They've announced this review, but normally precedents are set. Where yeah, how long is you going to take? Like, you, yeah. years? I don't even get me started <laughs> on reviews and things like that. But you, 
precedents, normally you look back and go, right, cool. Well, that happened and we dealt with it in this way. And so that's how we'll deal with it again. But one imagines that they would rather not deal with this happening again in the same way they just dealt with it a week ago. And now people are going to know when this podcast is recording. Uh, so there you go. That's my first mistake. But we've made it seasonal. We've made it seasonal. What are they going to do? Because, I mean, there's no precedent now. So it's like kind of a bit of a free-for-all in terms of how they deal with it. And they, if they're seen to deal with it in the same way they dealt with the Gary Lineker situation, then at least there's consistency, but it's consistently bad. If they're seen to deal with it in a different way, there's a lack of consistency. And then Gary Lineker can go, oh, so you've dealt with it in that way, have you? That's a lot better than how... They've opened this extraordinary, quite toxic can of worms, haven't they, by making such a mess of it? They have. But, you know, in many ways, this toxic can of worms is a great thing to open up because you can then release the toxicity. That's true. You have, you know, healthy debate like the one we're having right now that can help them get to a better place and to hopefully show other organisations what not to do and what they can start to do to be prepared for any toxicity that could happen within their own four walls. Mm. So I urge people to look at the BBC and think, okay, what am I going to learn from that snafu? Because that could easily happen in a Unilever, in a GE, in, you know, a Panasonic, in any kind of large corporation, there will always be somebody who's going to create a communication snafu at any stage. And especially with all the new channels of communication, all the new social media channels, there's going to be somebody somewhere that's going to not be representing your organization in the way you want them to represent it. So my view of this is let's take the good out of it. Let's look at what can be learned. BBC, please come to me. I can happily sit with you and talk to you about everything you can do in terms of not just being prepared for this crisis, but being prepared for other crises. And it's all about your preparation. It is not about how, well, Obviously, it's how you handle it. Crisis management is another thing. But crisis preparedness is probably the best thing of all. You know, Absolutely Just right. Heal it first before it happens. 100%. And there are listeners, no doubt, very many key takeaways from this episode. But a good couple are that Jackie is prepared to advise the BBC <laughs> and want that on record. And secondly, that listeners, I am very aware of my social media responsibilities as a freelance employee of Demozo as an agency and will be sure... <laughs> to remain representative of Jackie and the organisation at large until such time as I, I hope, I continue to work for the Mozo for for a long, long time. Um, But also, another key takeaway is the list I'm going to rattle off here. Alistair Campbell, where are you, man? Come on down. The rest is PR. Is ready and waiting. Get in touch or we will get in touch with you to get you on the podcast. Gary Lineker, what a week you've had, my man. Can't wait to see you back on Saturday night. You know, regardless of what our opinions are, I love Match the Day. I can't wait to see you back. I can't wait for his little intro and outro because it's going to be a there's going to be a bit of a a tongue in cheek and a bit of a wink, you know, on both. I think you know he's he's kind of the king <laughs> of that. Um, but also, look, Tim Davy, you know, I know you're a busy man, especially at the moment. But if you want to come on, we're here ready and waiting, listeners. Thank you so much once again for joining us for this latest episode of the Rest Is PR, which I'm sure you have absolutely no idea as the date of recording, even though I've left so many ridiculous clues as to when we're <laughs> recording this episode. If you would like to get in touch with the podcast, you can email us on info at therestispr.com. You can get in touch with Jackie or myself via LinkedIn. We are always keeping updated on the messages we get via that platform that we are always very impartial on as well. Need I remind you? And you can also 
follow us on our increasingly impartial Twitter at the rest is PR capital T capital R capital I capital PR it's as simple as that and if you want to email us via info at demozo.com you can do so speaking of which if you want to check out what demozo have been up to lots of very exciting things happening with the agency at the moment then you can head over to demozo.com Jackie not going to say same time next week because I've given away too many clues but (laughs) next week should we we'll record another one? They will do something at some point. There you go. And I hope you're feeling better soon as well, Jackie. Thank you so Thank much you. For, for, for coming on as <laughs> ever. And we look forward, listeners, to seeing you once again for another exciting instalment of The Rest is PR. But for now, from the increasingly impartial, how many times have I said it now? Jackie and myself, it's bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>